Hey, I'm Michael Dorinda. And I'm Jake Bennett. And welcome to episode 107 of the North Meet South Web podcast. Hey, everybody. Want to introduce our wonderful, amazing guests who previously streamed with Michael, but apparently Michael was having some te technical difficulties. <laughs> so everybody, ladies and gentlemen, welcome Jesse Late Light Liliate. Now this one's full strength. Jesse, how do, this is Jesse full how do we strength. Say, how do we say your last name correctly? Uh, uh, you can say it however you want, but I say it Leet. Leet. Oh, Elite. Laravel Elite. Jesse. <laughs> nice. Nice. I see what you did there. I see what you did there. So Jesse is, uh, you know, we were talking in our last episode about Statomic a bit, and I think we were both like, oh man, we should have Jesse on or somebody to talk about Statomic. Jesse's just the natural choice because he's like, you know, he's really into the Laravel community, like on Twitter. He's always, uh, you know, trolling people or giving people, a, I don't want to say a hard time. He doesn't really give a hard time. He just doesn't, no. it's a lot of dad jokes. It's a lot of, you know, just wonderful Laravel community banter. And so it was an easy pick. Jesse, you were the you were the one who were like, Jack, nah. No, we want Jesse. Give us Jesse. Jack's had his so time. So Jesse, in the welcome light. welcome to the show. That's right. Jack's had his time in the light. We like Jack too. And and his CRT. And he let me be, beat him in Street Fighter in New York. But Jesse, welcome <laughs> to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. So uh, just, we were talking to go ahead, Michael. I was gonna say, I just I just want to give you a heads up. I'm gonna be a little bit rude. Uh, I've just uh -oh. got the I've got the Weber on, heating up. So I just need I'll, I will probably disappear oh, nice. intermittently to go. Oh, no problem. Chuck some short ribs on there for tonight. Um, hey, you got your AirPods in. You'll be fine. Hopefully. Yeah. Well, unless the iPad turns on this week, unless unless your son is playing has. on the iPad. No, I've, already, I've already sorted that out. I've already sorted that out. <laughs> Did you turn the Bluetooth off already? Yep. Good, good man. Making me hungry. Good man. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. I know. <laughs> Seriously, it's like 11 o'clock here, though, or 10.30. I guess, Jesse, is it 11.30 there? Uh, is it? Yeah. It sounds like You know the cows are yeah, all asleep. Jesse. Cows are all asleep. Yeah. <laughs> I, it's it's hey. past your bedtime. It is. <laughs> it is indeed. Yeah, I was, uh, was going to say that uh, I learned something weird to, uh, just yesterday, Michael, when you sent out that video uh, that Australians uh, call allergies hay fever. So I've heard you say you have hay fever. I never understood. I thought that was like a specific thing. Like, no, that's just allergies. Well, that's what you the can thing call is, allergies. allergy, allergy is the very generic thing. Like, you could be allergic to anything. You could be allergic sure, to shellfish, right, right. or you could be allergic to. Uh, yeah, my mom's true. allergic to that's mint, true. which is kind of Ooh. annoying for her. Um, mm -hmm. you know, Ree's allergic to mango, but hay fever is like specifically a reaction to pollen. Hay. Um, yeah, no, not hay. Oh, God. <laughs> pollen. That's what it sounds like, doesn't it? Hay mm. fever. It sounds like, oh, I get You'd fever when that. I'm around hay. Think that like, where are you American. getting all this hay from? Yeah. Where's all this hay coming from, so Michael? Got, you live I've in the city. Like, uh, it's called like rye grass. It's a weed grass, and it's growing right out my window. So whenever it's a nice day mm. and there's a nice breeze, I open my window, and then it just pollen oh, straight up in. in my face, and then I'm sneezing mm -hmm. and rubbing my eyes, and it's just a whole, it's a whole thing. And it's gone to the point, like, it's so bad. That there's not really anything that I can take antihistamine wise that actually stops it without putting me to sleep as well. So I'm like taking the strongest mm. stuff I can without putting myself to sleep. That makes sense. 
That makes sense. Um, there's two things I wanted to talk about before we jump into the statomic stuff, which is what we're, but you know, what we really wanted to have Jesse on for. But it's fun to just talk to Jesse as well, just in general. So, you guys were talking a little bit in the show before about your M1s. So, mm-hmm. your MacBook M1 Pros. So, both of you guys have those, is that right? I've got an Air. Got you got an Air, and Jesse, you have Air. Air, you have a Pro. I have the 13 uh, inch Pro from last year, yeah. Yeah, and it's M1 as well, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I didn't. Yeah. I don't think I needed the pro. I just it was one of those like, do I spend the extra three hundred bucks just in case? Yeah, and right, I right. did it, and I don't. I don't ever hear the fan. I don't really do a lot of video or anything like that either. But it's been great. Yeah, battery that's life so is nice. crazy. I was gonna say that's the biggest thing for me. Like my MacBook Pro right now is not an M1. I have like a twenty seventeen MacBook Pro. Okay, this thing is still kicking along just fine. Like literally, like I, I could probably use it for another however long, but. Mm-hmm. I was waiting for like the larger form factor M1s to come out and I knew they were like going to be a next generation processor and stuff. I was like, ah, I'll just wait a little bit longer because I was going to get the M1 last year. I was like, I'll just wait a little bit longer and I'm glad yeah. I did. So I've got mine on order. I don't have it yet, but I ordered the 14 inch. Um, but that's the thing I'm looking forward to as well is the battery life. The battery life on my MacBook Pro currently is just horrid. It's so bad. So, so it's, bad. It's funny how like psychologically a new model comes out and, you know, suddenly we feel like the last year's is a bad bad model and it's not at all totally the m1s are the m1s are on like a whole nother level though just i'm the battery life and how cool they run is just insane like sitting on your lap i've never felt it get hot you know like all my other laptops like you watch a video Mm -hmm. on youtube and randomly it starts getting hot yeah right and that's not something i've really noticed at all with the m1 which is cool yeah every time we record these like as soon as i open my camera that's it fans are on i don't i don't know why i don't (laughs) know what it is about that it's just the fans are we're gonna kick into gear preemptively so I was, mm. I've been going back and forth with Simon Brashliotis, who works at Tailwind Labs, does all of their YouTube videos. And he's like, no, nah, I've just bought like the maxed out 16 inch with the, you know, the, the M1 Max 32 core uh, GPU and the 64 gig of RAM. And I was saying to Jesse before the show, like I was going to do that. I was just going to buy the maxed out thing because it's the best MacBook Pro that you can buy right now. And normally yeah. I just buy yeah. like the best thing that you can buy. And the more reviews that I've watched, the less inclined i've been to do that purely mm. because for the kind of work that i'm doing um you know just using vim and and you know and even like even with docker using docker and sail and things like that on my m1 air with the, which is which is only an eight core it's only got eight gig of ram it's plenty like it's plenty fast enough i never notice any slowdowns with it and so the difference between like the m1 pro with 10 cores, 16 cores GPU and the and 32 gig of RAM and like the maxed out 16 inch is like $1,500 Australian. And I'm uh-huh. like, what, why? Like, I'm never going to use those 32 GPU it's cores. True. I don't like, it's true. Yeah. I'm comfortably using eight gig now going from eight to 32, even going from 16 to 32 with my, you know, my current Intel 16 inch is going to be fine. So I've been going backwards and forwards with, with Simon talking, you know, like, all of the the reviews have been coming out and the comparisons and there's like, you know, compare everyone's comparing like the 14 inch and the 16 inch of the same spec and like the, the pro and the, and the max and all of that kind of stuff. And Marquise Brownlee put out his like review at the moment and showing like the export times of an 8k, like that he's shooting on the red cameras, like the, these high end oh, you know, tens yeah. of thousands of dollar cameras. And so he's got this maxed out, M1 Max with, you know, 32 GPU cores, 64 gig of RAM, um, exporting video a minute faster than his $50,000 mm. Mac Pro 
with 20 totally cores, worth it. Intel totally you know, Threadripper with 768 gig of RAM, and this and this like five thousand dollar laptop is shredding it kind of thing. So that's crazy. The M1 Pro for for my workload and certainly my workload for the foreseeable future. You know, just doing PHP, you know, Laravel stuff, sure. a bit of bit of Docker here and there when I need to dip into an older PHP version or whatever. You know, I was spinning up MySQL in a separate container because I want to have different versions running. Like it's going to be more than enough, you know. And and people keep saying, "No, you need 64." I'm like, you you don't on a Mac. You've never really needed like the the difference for most workloads between 32 gig and 64 gig is is not like it's negligible. You don't notice it. You're not using it. You might be writing less to cache. Um, in terms of that's a lot like of swapping. that's a lot of M windows to get up to that size to get up to that memory limits. You know that is correct. Yeah, Jesse knows. Jesse knows what that what that's all about. So, but um. <laughs> Yeah, I just. I wonder how many PHP Storm sessions I can get open before I hit that. Probably about three. <laughs> I think you'd start. You'd open the fourth one. And you'd start having some issues, I reckon. Yeah, yeah. No, I got the. I think the one I ordered was 32 gig RAM, and then it, I, I did get the M1 Pro Max or the M1 Max with like all the stuff. But mm-hmm. yeah, we'll see if I end up using it or not. I don't know. We'll see. I'm excited it, to get it though. It is crazy though, like what our dev world kind of thinks we need versus what we actually need. Yeah, versus nice, like totally. if you were a, if you were like doing a lot of crazy video rendering like you have a, a yeah. youtube channel or something like that mm-hmm. um i don't know like these these just even last year's m1s were like an insane step up for in a lot for a lot of reasons like people you know the youtube videos of uh the reviews saying you know i'm using the air and i'm rendering all my stuff and it's beating out my four thousand yeah. dollar MacBook right. Pro from last year, yeah. and now we're looking at the the M1 Pros and the M1 Maxes, which are like another leap forward from there, mm-hmm. right? So I don't know. It's it's yeah, exciting. It funny it's, it's, it's exciting. Like, <laughs> you're right because it's like what we're doing requires zero of that, like most of the time, right? Now there is like yeah. I do work on some projects where I have to open Xcode. <laughs> yeah, I have to like compile some Ionic apps or something like that for this other mm-hmm. company I helped do some work for, and it's like. Anytime I have to open open Xcode, I'm like, please don't crash, please don't crash, please, because that thing is just a, it's just a hog, man. Yeah. So I think for those reasons, like sometimes I have to open those things, or sometimes I do do video editing or whatever. It'll be really nice to have the extra power for when I need it. And um, kind of like you were saying, Michael, it's like this will last me the next half decade. You know, if I get the if I get the, a really good one, I can make it last. Another, like so, like I said, this one's like a 2017. So yeah. I'm right there. I'm at that five year mark almost. Yeah. You know. I say the same um, thing. So, you know, I hope this is the last one I buy for like five, six years, ten years. As I look at the three MacBook Pros on my desk that I need to get rid of before I'm allowed to get the new one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, I actually, uh, you said something about the Air Max or the AirPod. You know, what are they? The AirPods. It's the Max. AirPod, AirPod Max. Is that what it is? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was like, oh, those are so silly. Until I went to an Apple store and put some on. I'm like, oh my gosh, these are amazing. <laughs> yeah. And now I'm like, I have to have these. Yeah, it's, it's such a waste of money for me. I don't need them, but I want them now. So it's we pretty, shall pretty see. Pretty exciting though. Pretty exciting yeah, what they're doing. It is. It really is. I mean, even some of the stuff that they're like the MagSafe on their phones. And, um, you know, I love like the Snap-on wallets, but they also have like their newest wallet now has like the Find My you mm-hmm. know, devices thing. Like, you know, they have the little air tags or whatever. It kind of has something like that Im- not embedded in the wallet, but I think it knows when you take the wallet off of the back of the phone and mm-hmm. can tell you its last known location or something like that. Um, so even that stuff, they're they're kind of 
doing some interesting things with as well. Yeah. So They've done I don't know. The yeah, a lot as well, of because the amount of times that I have like my AirPods fall out of my pocket and they're like in the car or I've left them in the bedroom or something, and it's like find my, you know, the find my app. You can do that. Things. No, yeah. you can't. No, no. So you can do no, this. Previously, you were so able nice. to do this. But it only works if you could connect to them. But if they're in the case and they're closed, you can't like they exactly. Won't what are you supposed to do? So totally. now in the in iOS 15 when that came out, it now uses the Bluetooth beaconing, and so it will like beacon that, and it gives you a little this nice little visualization. It tells you if you're getting closer or further away, so it does all of that kind of stuff, which is handy because yeah. now I can be within range. Like I know they're in my house somewhere. It's just a matter of right, like, and exactly. then it, and then it like starts vibrating and and buzzing because it won't connect, so it can't. It can't play the audio, so it'll play audio when when it connects. But I'm like, by the time it has connected to my phone, like I've already found yeah, it, right. I don't need it to play the sound now. So for sure, yeah, yeah. Anyway, I hear we that, should man. We're, we're 20 minutes. Should we get into, into it? This, 10 minutes into. Should we get, this, we into, we it? get into it? Can you start? I'm it. just gonna go and check on my barbecue, and then I'll my short ribs. I'll be right back. Right. Okay. So Jesse, uh, kind of the the lead up into static that we talked about last time is we were just talking about uh, Jigsaw, so Laravel Jigsaw, started by Adam Wathen, kind of taken on by Titan. Um, they started maintaining it. And uh, I've recently used Jigsaw to kind of convert a previous PHP 5.4 site or whatever, you know, that needed barely anything at all. But I was just using it to kind of do some templating and grabbing some stuff from the database. I, I built it out in Jigsaw and I was like, this is great. You know, this is awesome. And, and Michael brought up the idea. He said, it is great as long as you don't ever need your clients to be able to modify any of the stuff on the site. Right. Which is, which is true because if you're, if you're going to do that, and I mean, it's not the end of the world if your build step is on like Netlify, which mine is. So mm-hmm. I could teach probably somebody to like go into the GitHub repo, GitHub repo and go modify a file and then it would, you know, do the build step on, on Netlify and no big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's when we started talking about Statomic. We we're like, oh, yeah, you could also use Statomic. And then we were like, you know what? I don't know if I ever have really wrapped my head around the way that Statomic works. And so as I was kind of going through the documentation, me neither, by the way, there's yeah, right. There's like, there's like, uh, it seems like there's a lot of different ways to do it. Like there's a, there's probably, it seems like there's at least three different ways that you can deploy or use Statomic, right? And uh, even in like the, uh, even in like the, um, the, the con, the write up, like the marketing stuff, right? It's like, hey, you can use this until you don't want to. And then you can use this until you don't need to anymore. And then you can do it this way. You know, so it's like there is a lot of flexibility around Statomic. And so I wanted to talk through a little bit of like what some of the options are. And I know you and Michael had a stream not too long ago, um, but he wasn't able to push it out to the podcast because there were some recording difficulties or something. So I kind of I'm, I'm approaching this as, as if we're starting from scratch. So cool, yeah. um, maybe you could just. You know, for the people who are out there who have not heard of uh, Statomic before, just you could tell us a quick, you know, one sentence, whatever. What is Statomic exactly? Yeah, I'll try to keep it short. Um, basically, it, coming from WordPress, you get a control panel. Um, you can kind of create like page builders or, you know, post builders. You have control of all the different fields that you want to mm-hmm. throw in your forms. You can have uh, you know, email forms and contact forms and submissions. You can do like a lot of the stuff you can do in WordPress. Um, but like you're mentioning Jigsaw and and then with Jamstack, yeah, like the whole Netlify 
you know, Vercel, yep. Vercel, yep. Vercel. Um, yeah, I call it Vercel. There's, yeah, same thing. There's a, there's a lot of really cool stuff happening there too with all the static site um, uh, generators out there. You know, I, like Jekyll was was a pretty neat yep. little thing too. Um, so Statomic just kind of, it is like Statomic version three is a Laravel app. You're installing a, essentially a plugin into a Laravel app. Um, if you use the, like the Statomic new my site, um, it's uh -huh. just going to generate a Laravel app with Statomic pre-installed. And um, you can throw that up on a DigitalOcean droplet and host it just like you would host a regular Laravel app. Um, you know, use Q workers, you know, throw controllers nice. and middleware, middleware and okay. any, anything you do in Laravel, you can pretty well do uh, with your Statomic site too. So if you feel like you need a middleware for some of your pages, you can use a Laravel middleware. Um, and then, and then kind of, so that's like one side of the spectrum. The other side of the spectrum is that like uh, static site you're talking about, like Netlify, which right. is obviously a whole different world. Um, so we have a package, uh, another package on top of that, uh, Statomix slash SSG for static site generator. And so you Composer require that into your app and you can export um, all of your uh, pages to just flat HTML. And then um, it we like in the, the readme instructs you how to deploy to Netlify and Vercel. Um, so you, you kind of have best of both worlds there. You have like the full Laravel app on, you know, DigitalOcean or Linode or whatever, sure. or you, or you can have the static site and then, and then there's a few options in between, which is kind of cool too. So for example, if you really want to have, uh, the speed of a static site, but you still might want to have like a traditional, uh, PHP, Ajax, JavaScript, uh, contact form. And you want to, like, you couldn't do that on Netlify without some sort of uh, third party. Mm like yes SAS or whatever that you're trying to connect to like api right yeah um so uh, we have what's called static caching so that just kind of gives you a couple options in between where you can have like full measure caching or half measure caching and that's where we're essentially caching the all of the pages to html and serving them up as flat html files and you can choose which pages so you can have excludes where you can choose which pages nice. are, okay. are excluded from that and they're just hosted like a standard laravel view versus the ones that are are uh, served by like static HTML. Um, and then if you really want to get uh, crazy, you can, you know, with like Cloudflare and DNS and all that stuff, you can do lots of crazy stuff. So just the spectrum from basically Laravel app to static site and kind of a bunch of stuff in between. And then like you were just saying, you know, with uh, like Jigsaw is awesome, but if you want to have someone be able to edit the content, yeah. um, if you're on Netlify, for example, like what we usually recommend is just uh, if you're just a lone wolf developer, you have a blog, uh, you can use the control panel locally. And then as soon as you get push, uh, you know, uh, Netlify will automatically deploy that. Or if you want to host the control panel for a client, you could host the control panel on on a DigitalOcean droplet, but have the actual front end on Netlify. Like there's just, there's just lots, lots of options. So. so you could almost have like the control panel portion of it be like a separate app hosted elsewhere because yeah. it doesn't matter at all. And then once they make the changes, then it gets pushed, committed, and then Netlify says, oh, there's a new commit. I will deploy that. And then it deploys it. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. So I think maybe a, a cool way to talk about this. And so, you know, we could get into all the details about like how Statomic works as far as like pages and collections and blah, 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 and antlers instead of blade components or, or antlers instead of blade, right? We could talk about all that. Um, but I think the thing first for me to understand for what got this whole conversation started was 
um, you know, sort of the things that you talked about, which is the different ways that you can deploy or utilize it. So I think maybe a good place to start would be to say like, okay, let's take like a use case. Let's take like a specific scenario and talk about what might be the best solution for that, for that situation. So, um, in the case that I want to just do exactly like what I did with, um, with Jigsaw, right? I'm going to be working on this site locally. Uh, and then I just want to be able to deploy it that way. Um, I'm going to, uh, static new, set up a new website, right? Set up a new static app on my, on my local machine. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to use the content, uh, management portion of it, the dashboard to go ahead and create content, right? So I'm going to write up a new post. I'm going to build out a couple pages. That data that is in those that is that is being created from those pages is that getting stored in my database or when I'm saving that is it saving it to a flat file inside of my repo and then I just get committing that or is there a build step? How does that work? Yeah. So um, out of the box, Statomic is all flat file. Okay. Um, so for example, all of your posts, uh, all of your entries, your your collection entries are stored in Markdown. Um, with YAML front matter just to, for, with the YAML front matter has the IDs and the, you know, handles and dates and Mm -hmm. authors, uh, different tags you might want to like just extra metadata, but your post itself is markdown. So if you really, just like Jigsaw, if you wanted to edit a markdown file, there's nothing stopping you as a blog author from creating your posts in your editor in Vim. Cause that's obviously nice. the best place to <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, here we go. But, <laughs> here it started. No, no, no. Use what you love. Um, so, uh, it's flat file by default, but we have, uh, an eloquent driver as well. So if you want to store your entries in a database, then that's totally legit too. You can do that. Yeah. Um, and so whether you use the control panel locally or you edit the files locally, like you said, uh, if you're, you're saying with jigsaw, let's say you're hosting on Netlify, then, uh, you could do everything locally with valet or Docker or whatever. Uh, you know, get push and have Netlify just uh, hook onto that. Nice. Deploy so, it, so. And, and so just, I, I'm thinking is what you're saying, but I just wanted to clarify one more time for myself. I, I can edit it with my code editor. Just I could just go into this markdown file with YAML, whatever, and I could just modify it straight like I would with Jigsaw. Great. Mm-hmm. But I can also use the dashboard, right? I can also mm-hmm. go in there and modify those files using yep. the dashboard, using the content management system. And it's just going to write that flat file up for me. It's not storing it anywhere except for that flat file. And then yep. when I go to edit it, it just reads back in that YAML front matter, that markdown, and just pops it into the editor in like my browser, right? And I can modify it from there too. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Okay, so that's helpful. Because like in, in Jigsaw, you know, you have, um, I mean... It's you are editing just markdown files essentially, but there's still like a build step, right? Um, so with Statomic, it's just writing it where it's going to be as soon as you're editing it, and then you just literally get add all, commit, push, you're done. Yep. Yeah. There's no there's no build step uh, as far as just saving content goes. Very cool. Yep. Nice. Okay. That's awesome. All right. That's helpful. So then, sort of the the next um, iteration would be, uh, I want to, uh, I suppose. The, all the way on the other end of the spectrum would be deployed as a full Laravel app, right? Just put it out there. It's a full Laravel app. Nothing's really cached as a static file. It's just getting served from Eloquent. I can do all that too. So that's like the most WordPress version of it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, I feel like I lose some of the benefits of Statomic if I do that just because like I really like the idea 
of having all of my files stored in version control, like having to have a database. I don't. I think we've all probably been there before, where we've went to migrate a site, and it's this. The code is there in a GitHub repo, but this database is like impossible to get to, or it's it got blown away, mm-hmm. or I always have to worry about like is it getting backed up, or it's on this old server, and I, you know, who knows how reliable that database is going to be. Um, and so for me, like. I love the idea of being able to just store everything in the repo itself, uh, but you can go all the way to the other end and say, let's just store everything in the database, just like WordPress would. And you just have like the stylings and some of that stuff like in your repo, right? We can do that side too, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, yeah. And like I said, out of the box, it's flat file. So we try to give you kind of like the easier, simpler, you know, jigsaw, like, you know, everything is flat file. You just get commit and push. Um, the database is something that you opt into. So. And then the middle ground, which is kind of where we, where Michael brought up last uh, last time we were talking was, okay, I am going to, I can develop the site locally. I can do all that stuff locally. I'm going to push my files. But now I want to have something out there where my client can actually, uh, can actually modify it, right? But I want it to, I still want it to be able to be flat file, um, like in my version control, right? Exactly. So in that yeah. scenario... In that scenario, uh, let's just go with um, this idea that, so let's, I mean, maybe we talk about Laravel News for a minute, because I think Laravel News is this middle ground, uh, I believe, but they use that, they're usually caching, I think, like what you were talking about. Static caching. Yeah, I can't remember what their exact config is. I don't know how much of the database they're using or if they're using all flat file. Um, I think one, one misconception to probably get out of the way is a lot of people kind of assume if it's not in a database, it's not performant. And um, I mean, even without static caching, uh, it's I think for most people for, you know, just doing agency kind of work, um, you'd probably be surprised how performant it is. You know, just like with Laravel, like just serving up blade views is is not always problematic. It's not always a bad thing. Um, and the flat file approach, uh, I mean, as developers, we've sort of been conditioned to like, I need a database, but then it's pretty liberating, liberating, like you said, you know, you you add a new guy to the team rather than them having to connect to the database or clone down the database or seed a database, having to keep their migrations or their local fake data up to date or whatever they're doing. They're literally just pulling down the app and they have the production data, right? Yeah, for sure. And um, and as uh, your, your authors, your content authors, uh, like maybe they're a different team, right? But as they're pushing up the actual content of the site, you as a developer, are pushing up like the code of the site, right? Yeah. Like you're you're maybe coding coding the forms or coding the things, and they're they're throwing the in, and and there's not usually much as far as like merge conflicts between those two things, right? Because they're different parts of the code, they're different parts of the file system. Um, so yeah, it's it, there's there's a lot of options. I would say you know the database is there uh, when you need that scalability, but it's not the default out of the box. Because I don't think most gotcha. people most people don't need it and it's it's quite liberating you know just to to work that way pull it down and you have all the data yes for sure for sure um so let's let's push this through a little bit more so i want to set it up so that my client can modify the stuff but then i want it to be able to be written to version control right okay Mm -hmm. how do i want to set that up am i i mean i know you said you could set it up just as like one site where you do 
st static caching, but that's like still you're using the database, right? Is it possible to have like a site out there where they can modify it, where it's just writing the flat files? But that, because that doesn't really make sense to me, right? And, and I think Michael and I sort of got stuck on this. We were like, well, wait a second. Is it writing to like get hist? Like, is it making commits? Like, and then you, pushing you can like, set it up that way. Yeah. You can. Okay. Yeah. See, that's what I thought was like, no way it's doing that. It's not, not at all doing that. But you're saying it is actually possible to do that. Yeah, again, it's not out of the box. So the the we have two tiers of Statomic. Um, I'm not a salesman, so don't quote me on everything here. But uh, so we have a we have a free tier, which you know anybody who's wanting to do a personal blog or a personal site, it's one user. Um, you can pretty well get away with doing everything you need to do uh, with the free tier. Um, but it's, you're talking about when you have other clients, you know, multiple yes. users who need to connect in, and right. then now now you're having to deal with like change content changes coming down Correct. from other other people into your Correct, history. Yeah. So um, once you need multiple users, that's where we require the, the pro license. Um, that makes sense. But the pro license also gives you this Git integration feature. And so, oh, what, so cool. Okay. the Git integration is a, there's basically like a Laravel config, like we have a git.php config slash datamix slash git.php. And in there um, you can, you basically just enable with an env setting or with a config setting the git integration and have it auto commit and auto push anytime a, oh a content gosh. change is made so for example if they save an entry or they edit an entry or they delete an entry or they even like change something on their user profile if their if their users are flat file like whatever it is um everything has an event hook like a, a standard laravel event that yep. gets fired and uh the git integration just listens to all the content events and we'll just commit uh you can also uh, choose whether you want it to auto push. So, for example, if you've got the site uh, hosted on DigitalOcean, uh, but the central repo is on GitHub, then when they make that change, it'll auto commit and auto push it back to GitHub. So then you, as oh a developer, gosh, so cool. as a developer, all you have to do is just pull down the latest changes. And if there are merge conflicts, you deal with them locally before you push back up yourself as a developer. Yeah. Wow. That's insanely powerful. So. <clears throat> Me and Michael were like, certainly they're not doing that. Certainly they can't do that. No, that's exactly what you're doing, in fact. And and that's as far cool. as as far as performance goes with that too, uh, it, again with scalability and all that kind of thing. If if anybody's worried about that, there's options to um, to defer how it auto commits and pushes. So for example, you can have it com auto commit and push on a schedule, uh, maybe every hour or so, that or if you want sense. it, yeah. Or if you wanted to uh, just use a, a queue job, like a Redis queue or something, so that it's doing it in the background rather than on the the save request, for example. That way, sure. it keeps the control panel snappy for the for the client for your client, but it's still auto committing pushing in real time. So there's there's lots of cool options under the hood there. But essentially, yeah, you can have it auto commit push back to GitHub. So. And that would be something you'd just probably have to like communicate to your clients. Like you'd have to be like, hey, listen, like I know you're gonna change stuff. Just know that like it's gonna push up changes on the hour, right? Like you can expect changes to be live as of like if you're at modifying it at like 12:30, look at the website at 105, it'll be live then, right? Because we're not, you know, we're doing these commits on the hourly on the hourly basis, and then the site's gonna deploy, give it a couple minutes to deploy, right? It's sort of probably just setting expectations because a lot of people are probably like, Well, I pressed the publish button, like what's happening? Like, why is it not live right now? You know? And it could actually be in, if if you're hosting everything on a DigitalOcean instance, it'll be live as soon as they save it. It's more. I, oh sure. It's yeah. Push, I was thinking, pushing it back to uh, GitHub is is the thing that you, you're controlling. So in your when you're th if you're thinking like the separate server for a control yep, panel and Netlify, yep. then yeah, yep. there might be like that that gap just for deploy time or whatever. Yeah. Wow, that is so cool though. <laughs> that is pretty awesome. Okay. 
Um, so that's still flat file. That's like still using the flat file driver, not using Eloquent at all. Yeah, totally. That's just using that. Right. Okay. Um, so you have like a single user flat file. You can just do that locally and then push up and commit and do any of that. Then you have like multi-user. You have to have the pro license, but you just put that out there, host it as like a PHP app, and then they can make ch file changes, but it's still flat file, still gets pushed into your, into your GitHub repo. And I'm sure like when you do that, like your GitHub repo probably looks crazy too. Like your main branch or your master branch has probably got like a million commits if there's any active work being done, right? It just depends how many authors you have. Like if you had sure. five people on it, it might not be so bad. Um, but if you've got... Now does each person, like, is each person signed up as like a Git author or is it just like you have like in the, in the, um, in the Statomic Git config or whatever, do you just set up like here, here's the author we're committing as? It's just a single, like yeah, you, you set sense. up, like you can have it Spock or whoever you want it to be. That's the nice. automated Git. <laughs> nice. I like it. If you wanted to be really crazy creative, you probably could figure out a way to do it where like you had each author, you know what I mean? Within their profile, within their, their user thing, like you had like their handle or whatever. I'm sure you could probably figure out a way to do it, but probably there's not demand there. Yeah. Even, even in the Git config, there's even ways to, um, to uh, customize the Git commands that get run. So uh -huh. uh, I guess an, another example is, um, for example, you might want to have the automated commit message have like a square bracket bot or something like that. So that way, ah, sure. um, maybe you, you you don't want like a deploy loop happening, Some depending on how you have, like if you have Forge auto uh, yes. quick quick deploy right. setup, you don't want this like circular deploy loop happening where you, you push back to GitHub and then it redeploys back out. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, so in your deploy script on Forge or Deployer or whatever you're using, um, if you need to have a an extra hook there, like list anytime there's a commit that comes through with bot in the commit message, don't do this. You know, um, yeah. There's there's just a ton of customization. It really depends on your workflow, but um, you know, without getting too technical, like out of the box, it's it's really just a matter of, you know, uh, if if you need that multi-user like push back to GitHub functionality. It could be just as easy as just enabling uh, auto commit and auto push, and you're done, right? That's pretty cool. That is pretty freaking cool. Um, okay, so then the the static caching stuff. Um, do you mind if we jump into that a little bit? So you said sure. there's like sort of two methods or two versions of that. You called it like half caching or full caching, or what were the words you used there? Yeah, I was actually just talking with uh, Jason about this a week or two ago, refreshing my okay. memory on it. But um, he's the expert there. Um, basically, we have full measure caching and half measure caching. Okay. So um, full measure would be uh, going full out, uh, just like you would be using that static site generator package sure. as a as a build step on Netlify. So Netlify uh -huh. would would uh, run the ssg colon generate command, right? And sure. So, you know, as you push to GitHub, the Netlify would build it and deploy it from there. Okay. Um, the static caching is sort of that in-between option where maybe you want to have those static HTML pages, like flattened HTML pages for most of your routes, but maybe for specific routes, you want to leave them as regular blade antlers views or whatever, right? Sure. Because um, maybe you, you have a page that has more like dynamic PHP going on and you don't want to have to connect out to third-party APIs and stuff like that. So... Um, the, the, the full measure caching basically acts just like how the static site generator does. Um, but you can, uh, host or and, and then you, you're also, um, putting a, a step in your Nginx config or your Apache config. 
So just saying if an HTML file exists in this folder, just to bypass Laravel's writing, bypass all of that. So you're serving up the the raw HTML file yeah. just as you would be yeah. on Netlify, right? So it's it's a real quick and easy solution if you kind of want that on most of your routes, but then you have the ability to exclude specific routes and have like full dynamic Laravel app on other routes, like maybe your contact form or something. Okay, sure, um, that makes sense. Yeah. And then and then a half measure caching is more just like the artisan or sorry the uh, the Laravel cache. So okay. rather than rather than everything being actually generated into like flat HTML files on the file system, the half measure caching is uh, taking those full HTML like it's rendering the HTML and then throwing it in a just a, a Laravel cache whether that's Redis or whatever it is. So okay. it's so it's it's it, I guess it's sort of akin or similar to how like um, Blade has like a view cache. View cache, sure, yep, right. But uh, it's a little deeper than that because it's it's still rendering the HTML as if it's like generating a static site, um, but it's putting that full HTML into into a cache. Gotcha. So that's sort of like the. If 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 we're if we were to recommend to anybody who doesn't want to get into DevOps kind of stuff but just wants a quick like low hanging fruit performance optimization, the half measure sure. caching is like a real cool uh, option. Uh, the full measure caching and the static site generator is is if you want to uh, really push that. Yeah, so. right. You really want to go all the way in, in yeah. on the static stuff. Right, right, right. Exactly. Yep. And then probably you'd probably have to take uh, things into consideration, like what you're talking about with like the contact form and things like that. Because if you're doing full measure caching, you basically don't have the ability to do that anymore, right? Uh, well, yeah. You, you, uh, I would say this with full measure caching, you do because you can exclude those routes. Okay. It's when sure. You, that it's, makes sense. It's, it's when you use the static site generator package on Netlify that you don't have the ability to do that. Mm. Right. So yep. full measure full measure caching is is that. But you have the ability to run certain pages or routes dynamically, while others being static, um, and that that wouldn't be hosted on Netlify. That would have to be hosted on a a more traditional server or whatever. But gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, I actually have also on Netlify. They have these uh, like they have these little lambdas you can basically create as well. I don't know if you've seen that before. Um, I don't remember what they call them. I don't remember what they call them lambdas or what they call them. But basically, these little scripts that you can send up with your site, and then you can invoke those those node scripts. Mm. Um, cool. So like, yeah. So I, I've got we've got a full static site, and then it's like we did need this like contact form, and it's like, well, man, do I I don't want to like deploy. So, so like for me, the big benefit is like with something like Netlify. It's free, and I can just chuck it out there, and I don't have to worry about like, is the PHP mm -hmm. version out of date? Is Laravel up to date? Is it going to mm -hmm. get hacked? Is it blah blah blah? Like all that stuff, right? Like Netlify, I just chuck it up there, and I know it's just HTML pages. Like nothing's going to happen to it. It's there mm -hmm. forever until Netlify goes out of business, right? Mm -hmm. Or until they start making me pay for it, which I'm happy to do. Um, so, so for me, it's like I'll, I want to use that as often as possible. So. If I can get away with like full static caching and not have to worry at all about a database, I'm like, I'm on that train. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, it's pretty me cool. I mean, the again, that that static caching, the full measure caching that I'm talking about, yeah, um, yep. it, it does give you kind of best of both worlds, but you would be serving it, hosting it on a more traditional server. But like yep. you said, um, you know, when you hit those routes, if an HTML file exists, it's not even touching your application, right? Right. Um, that's the idea is that the Nginx configs, uh, you know, has that, that one rule, I forget what they call them, rewrite rules or whatever they are. Um, yeah. But yeah, it has that rule where it, is, it looks for the HTML file in the 
the static cache generated folder first. If it doesn't exist, then it it finds the route through the Laravel application. So yeah. you're sort of I getting apologize. the best. I think of I'm, I'm mixing terms up a little bit too. I apologize because I, I sometimes I'm saying static cache and I'm meaning flat files. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm just all over the place here, dude. So yeah, I uh, I'm I'm sure I'm doing a uh, absolutely wonderful job of uh, explaining to everybody out there. Uh, what my thought process is, but I appreciate you being patient with me on it and no, just no, like help good. me understand and walk through it because it's, it's um, it's good to know kind of like all the different things that you could you could do. I know that Eric was really excited about this though, like uh, when he switched from doing because he was doing previously for Laravel News, he was doing a headless WordPress installation, mm. and then yeah. was shipping everything over to a Laravel app where he was you know doing it uh, like displaying those values with Blade. Mm-hmm. And then when he switched over to static, it was like, oh, this is awesome. And I think he's doing the static caching. And it was like really, really, really performant. Um, I'm curious how he does that, though, because I'm pretty sure he has like parcels in his page, which are going to change out on a really regular basis, like, you know, um, sponsors. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, he has like a sidebar over on the side that's like, a, you know, that's not static ever, probably. That's probably changing on a pretty regular basis. But the rest of his stuff is likely static. Like once you post a blog post, it's very rare. You know, it's probably not going to yeah. change. Right. He doesn't have comments or anything. So. It's just sitting there, right? Yeah. Um, that's that. The, sorry to jump in. That's that's a really good point about the headless thing too. I don't I don't fully know what Eric is doing with Laravel News. Uh, it's pretty cool what they've come up with though. I think Zangle helped them with that too, didn't they? Yes, they did. Yep. But um, yeah, the headless thing is really cool. Like Jason built. Um, we have like a, a REST API, and Jason built. This. Oh, you guys have this as well. And Jason built like a really cool nice. uh, gra- GraphQL layer if you're into GraphQL. Mm. So. If you want to have like all, you can have the control panel uh, hosted up on you know your your regular DigitalOcean server for your clients to to do whatever. But if you wanted to, I don't know, have some sort of mobile app or something that's that's getting all the your static flat file data. Like it's it might be all stored in Markdown files in the file system, right? But um, you know through whatever caching options you have, like it's you you can grab that from the REST API or from the GraphQL wow. API as well. That's so. pretty cool. Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool. I did not realize that. That's really nice. Dude, I've I've started with like GraphQL and um I was like, yeah, I can't do this. <laughs> that's that's what that's why we have both. We started with the REST API because it's the traditional comfortable option, sure. but there's a, yeah. a lot of people asking for the GraphQL and it's pretty powerful what it can do as well, so we just offer both. Yep. For people who can who can like wrap their brain around it or who have like the stack set up to kind of like um where they need that then it's i think it totally makes sense right for me it was just like eh, it's not really anything i need right now and i was it's probably just lazy it's probably just me being lazy you know yeah. at the end of the day <laughs> a lot a lot of this stuff a lot of this stuff we're talking about is not stuff that most developers need like it i don't want to make you know uh stat it's same with laravel too like you just us talking about all the technical things might scare someone off, scare someone off from using laravel but it's really easy to get started with Laravel, but the pa- the features and the, the power is there when you need it, right? And that's yes, sort of absolutely. the same approach that we wanted with Statomic is that if you want to throw up a, a blog or a simple client site with Statomic, we don't want it to sound to, to be this crazy technical thing. Like if you're coming over from WordPress, we want you to feel somewhat comfortable. But then um, if you need that power, you have Laravel at your fingertips. You have, you know, we talked about all these uh, options from like full uh, dynamic PHP app to static site and everything in between and then the whole headless thing like there's just we have the options there if you need if you're more of a power user you, you care about scalability or all these different things but out of the box just like laravel you know we want it to be uh approachable so yeah and i've found that to be the case for sure too like i um got into the docs you know a while ago and 
they're they're really 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 solid right so if you have like if you're coming from something else you have like these upgrade guides if you just want to get started like immediately you have all these like um, starter kits right this is the tip you know this is the sort of thing i'm looking to do right so you have like static starter kits versus wordpress themes or where do you find these different starter kits or um you know there's like premium starter kits i think too right in the static marketplace so you've got mm -hmm. all sorts of these things to basically just say like hey just get started like push this button and you're on your way right yeah um and so for anybody who's doing php or laravel development i do feel like it's really really approachable and then jack's got these screencasts out there as well and the thing i like about the screencasts too is that they're really um uh, digestible so like you know he's got like his installing static three is a minute and 36 seconds long <laughs> you know what i mean his uh you know here let's get tailwind set up so you can you know and use laravel mix to compile that six minutes hey let's create yeah. your first user it's a minute and a half right so all this stuff is yeah. just these really digestible little chunks of like here's how you do this one specific thing so you don't have to like try and search through a half hour video to try and find that one specific piece i just need this one spot right how do i do this so between the documentation and the videos that jack's got out there i feel like you guys have done a really good job uh with like you know um accomplishing your stated goal which is to make it really approachable jack's done a really nice job of that too he just did a, a, a docs pass again uh this past few months and um so the docs are all kind of refreshed and uh uh lots of new stuff in there for anybody that's wanting to explore it again but yeah the screencasts are kind of underrated as well um you know like laracast was really big for me when i started in the laravel world for sure um, and some people learn more, learn better by video and some people learn better by reading. Um, I don't know. I'm kind of one of those video guys, so I really like the uh -huh. screencasts. Um, yeah. and even just, you know, working on the team, like watching through Jack's videos, like I end up learning things too. So I don't know. Yeah. And like you said, they're yeah, short and concise. He does a good job with those. Yeah. Um, okay. So let me look and see how much time we've gone here. Michael, are you still there? Or are you doing short ribs or something? I'm here. <clears throat> no, I'm here. I, uh, this camera. <laughs> I think I figured it out, but I know the camera has been freaking out, see. dude. I, I had to turn it off because I was yeah. like, I can't deal with it anymore. It's like yeah. flickering in my face. So I anyway, yeah, it's hard for me. You just can't see me now. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, so, you know, because I've just been kind of talking because I didn't know if you were back or not, Michael, uh, do you have any questions you want to jump in here so I can, um, you know, just give you a chance to make sure you, you have any time to ask any questions you'd want to? No, I think, I think you covered off pretty much everything that, that we sort of brought up last episode in terms of the, the authoring experience. And I think that that's the key, you know, being able to either, you know, as a developer, like you and I, like we said, you know, we can do it all locally and we can do a git command, we can push it up and we can, and have Netlify build or whatever, being able to host it on just like a normal forge server or, you know, using DigitalOcean or Linode or whatever is um, that's, that's pretty straightforward as well in terms of just, just running a Laravel app and then having the the full measure or half measure caching as and when you need it is is all pretty simple. And then the, the pro features of having the git commits. So, you know, if it's an hour, you know, you might, you you don't get the granularity of, of like that version history at, at that interval, but, you know, mm -hmm. you've got something in version control at least. You know, if you're only writing your post and then hitting submit at the end of it kind of thing, then then that's that's a good good thing as well. And it's, and it's nice to, to sort of, get a real good understanding and a good feel for, for what those different authoring workflows look like. And, and I hope, you know, anyone that was maybe looking at it, either using Statomic for their own website, or if they were considering using it for client work, you know, that they, they can rest assured that they can still do that quite easily. 
um, however they feel comfortable because it sounds like Statamix only provides different options. And then the, and then the headless approach as well, you know, we talked about Laravel News and and how, you know, that, that's how we ran WordPress for Laravel News, you know, and we used the API and then we pulled it all out and then rendered out the mm-hmm. static pages. So I assume there's something similar going on there, uh, save for mm-hmm. the ads. I, I don't know. I assume they're served from like a dynamic endpoint or something like that, you know. Maybe they're coming from a Laravel app that's just like ads.php, which by the way, is very easy for ad blockers to detect and stop. So don't use ads.php <laughs> if you're going to serve images through that. So, um, you know, I think, I think that was really good, Jesse. I'm, I'm sad that we didn't, that I had the, the issue with the, um, the video stream, unfortunately, when, when we did the, the thing, cause we went through in 30 minutes getting a, an app set up and, and went through the process. I might see if I can do just like a, a solo stream at some stage. Cause I'll, I'll, I really do want to get my website up and running on Statomic cause it's always a bit tedious. I, not, not that Nova's tedious, but just the process of like writing a post and then it's got, I've got Cloudflare caching it, but then busting that cache yeah. to get a new post <laughs> yep. to appear. And then like, if you cache the index uh, for a, like if you, if you've got a, if a post, cause I usually I'll write the post during the day and then I'll schedule it for the middle of the night when, you know, most of my audience is, is around. Um, so, you know, one thirty AM, I'm not going to be there, but if, if Cloudflare is cached that when, when the tweet goes out to say, here is my new post and they go, they go there and then it's like, because because they hit a cached index.php, there's like nothing there. Um, so yeah, it's it's good good to to have that authoring workflow and getting it to to do with that. And just on that, like in terms of, um, I guess the future the scheduled posts that that you would sort of write up in advance and that are then cached. Like how does how does that process go if you're doing static site generation, and and you're doing like the static caching. Um, when you say future posts, just as far as like scheduling future posts, yeah. Like so for if I say future like, dates, I've written a post today and I want it to go live tomorrow at one thirty a.m. and mm-hmm. like I I push that, I deploy it, it goes onto Netlify. Like how does how does Netlify know that at one thirty a.m. it needs to like regenerate that cache so that that post yeah yeah goes? yeah okay so you'd have to get a little bit clever there but um so let's just start with if you were on a regular Laravel DigitalOcean server or whatever. Um, when you schedule a post for a feature date, it's just hidden from the front end view. If you're if you're in a dated collection where you've specified, you know, only show uh, posts from like you know past to today mm-hmm. sort of thing, and then future posts are just hidden. Um, or you can draft a post or, and then publish a post, that sort of thing. So obviously Netlify isn't going to know when to show that because it's just flat HTML. So mm-hmm. I think a common approach then is just to have like a, a like a once a day deploy. Uh, trigger you know what i mean so we're like at whatever you want to do like 12 30 a.m or something like mm-hmm. that it's automatically just going to de- re uh static like generate the static site mm-hmm. um and and when it generates a static site it's essentially running like a, it's it's an artisan command in the background right so it's running a Laravel application it's checking the dates and everything like that so i think that would probably be the quick answer which is mm-hmm. if you know that that's a part of your site workflow where you're you're writing posts into the future and then you're wanting those to just automatically show on netlify you'd have to have that like once per day uh static site generation yeah Yeah, so you i mean you in that regard you'd lose the granularity of saying like i want this to post at like 1 33 a.m you would say you know it's just gonna it'll at midnight or you know be kind to people that are monitoring your websites and running your scheduled tasks run it at like Mm -hmm. 1205 or something like that or 1206 um yeah you know, just run that every day and then just schedule your tweet to go out at one thirty three or whatever to make it look like yeah, you're or, organically sending it. 
Yeah, or if you, again, you can get clever in any way you want. So with the, the way the Git integration works, like I was explaining before, is that every content, uh, there's a content event for everything in the static, or sorry, in the static like data store. So mm -hmm. whether you're looking at collections or taxonomies or users or form submissions or whatever it is that you're storing in flat files, um, anytime you save something in the control panel, a Laravel like event gets fired, right? So like whether it's entry saved or entry deleted or or mm -hmm. whatever. So um, again, like on your DigitalOcean server, there's no if you if you wanted to have a webhook that that told uh, Netlify to generate the static site when entry is saved, um, mm -hmm. you you could do that too. If you if you don't want if you want that granularity where it's you're not just like triggering it at 12:30 a.m. every day or something like that, yeah. then you could hook into the event system as well. Cool. Sounds good. So I did have one other question, Jesse. So, <clears throat> or maybe a couple. As I'm looking through like the control panel and how you how you kind of set this up, there's sort of this hierarchy of different different things that we have. So it seems like at the top level you have like blueprints. Mm -hmm. Um and that just defines like a set of fields that you're going to be um, allowing into a particular blueprint, I guess, page mm -hmm. maybe, right? Yeah. And then like within that blueprint, you might have like um, field field types or is it field sets or maybe a field set is a grouping of field types or whatever. Um, and then you kind of just say like, here's the ones that they're going to be in and here's the order that they're going to be in. So blueprint just basically says like, if I'm defining like a blog post page, mm -hmm. here are the things that you need to fill in order for that to be completed. So I have like hero image, then I have intro, then I have author, then I have template, then I have content. And those are like my fields, my field types that I'm going to have defined for this blueprint. And then each mm -hmm. one of those different field types gets defined on its own as well, right? So you have these different field types. You can create your own or you can, I think you can even pull some in. Can you, like, does Statomic Marketplace have, like, field types that you can pull in or is there yeah, there's, packages there's, and things like that you can pull in? Yeah, so uh, all the default field types out of the box, uh, there's, you know, lots of common ones like text and date, date picker. And there, there, I think there's even some crazier ones like a code field and a color picker and things like that. Okay, sure. Um, kind of the... the the popular one for authoring is our Bard field. Um, the Bard field is uh, sort of like um, what does WordPress call theirs again? Gutenberg or something? Mm -hmm. It's sort of like yeah, the sure. it's they sort of like, like that dynamic WYSIWYG, page rich builder. text. Yeah. It's like a rich text. Uh, it's you know storing uh, in between your blocks of your paragraphs of your text. You can have like you know a floating image to the left or the right or the center. Or you can the cool thing about Bard though is that you can. Uh, define like what those sets are using other statomic fields. So for example, if you have a mm. custom field that you've generated and you have a specific way you want to render that in the middle of your content, that that can be a set within your Bard. Uh, there's a lot. So that was my question. That yeah. was like my next question. Cause, cause you know, the promise of WordPress is always like, Oh, you can like kind of go in and you know, you know, we're going to set the page up like this, but you can change it if you want. And that has never actually been my experience. Right. It's always like, right this mess of a nightmare of like, it's terrible. Yeah, I, and can't, so com I'm like, I can't comment on WordPress because it's been a few years since I've used it, but. Um, and it's possible, wait, I just don't know what I'm doing too. But it feels like, you know, depending, I suppose there are certain themes where they've got it figured out. Like it works, it works well, right? Um, but my question is like, if I'm working for a client and I know that, you know, they've got eight pages that they've, that they've showed me they, and they just have a designer that's like, you know, got them mocked up for me, right? 
and I look at them and I say, oh, I see like a lot of commonalities between these different pages. So I can kind of like slice them up into like their own fields, mm-hmm. right? I, I'm going to say like, hey, this is like a testimonial field. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of know this yep. is what this is going to look like. Or I have this icon set of field where, you know, I mean, I, you know, think about how Tailwind components are broken out, right? You just yep. have these different sets of things that are just always, they're this way, right? Mm-hmm. And so if I wanted to define some of those, um, and if I do a really good job of defining those, then what I could do is I can hopefully give my client an authoring experience where they're then able to have like a component library that can pull from and say, I want to use the icon set here, right? Mm-hmm. How does that how does that work really? Because like with these blueprints, it's sort of like, oh, well, like if I'm am I hard coding like the list, the order of them here? So I'm like, how do I kind of do that where I have like a content field, but within that content field, I need to have that icon set. And it's so a reusable kind of, thing. Yeah, like right. How, exactly. you're, you're essentially asking how to reuse fields and that sort of thing, or reuse custom fields. So, sure. um, yeah, so we have blueprints is like the top level thing. And that's the blueprint is sort of the hard coded bit, right? Like the blueprint for an, uh, maybe you call it an article on Laravel okay, News sure. or whatever, yeah. right? That would be hard coded for the article. Um, but then within that, we have what's called field sets. And a field set is just a grouping of fields that you might want to reuse in multiple blueprints. So, a quick one that I, like a testimonial might be a good one where maybe you want to yeah. have testimonials used in different types of posts or different types of collections. Um, and maybe that testimonial is like you have a specific tailwind layout for that with an avatar on the left and yeah. a little cool quote and title name and title, that sort of thing. Um, and, uh, that testimonial can either be a field set of other fields. So it might have like an image field for the avatar, okay. yeah, that makes uh, sense. A, a text field for the title, and maybe a little markdown field for the description or, f- or for the actual testimonial itself. And that field set is comprised of those three fields. And the, the grouping is the field set. And that field set can be reused anywhere, sort of like a partial. Um, gotcha. And then and if can you, re- you associate like, you can associate like a, a partial like blade component or antlers file to go along with that particular field set as well. Exactly. Uh, yeah, you can you can do that. So that part of that testimonial could be a template field if you want to have a sure. specific template. Last question maybe I have here. Two questions. Number one, what's your alias for PHP, please? Because you don't write that every time. No, I have a, like PLS, please. There you go. <laughs> All right. <laughs> PLS. Yeah. All right, there we go. Uh, and then the second one was just for my clarification, what you were saying previously is that you can take like a field set and you can ask for that to be embedded within a barred. Mm-hmm content section so like your main content section is typically going to be a barred field set or field type right where you just have that rich text editor whatever but then within any portion of barred you can say yeah in here i want to inject this custom field yep. that i have or it doesn't have to be a custom field just could be you know your your at your uh testimonial field set right you can just say put the field set right here put it right here and it would be like a again it's kind of pulling it in as if it's a partial but it would go you know anywhere in your content so like you know if you're reading a blog post and you have like a really fancy quote or maybe a hot tip or maybe a testimonial or whatever sure yeah yeah yeah. like all that stuff could be a custom uh essentially a custom bard set which could have its could be built out of its own statomic fields or even your own custom field types right 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 yeah so it's it's you're essentially bard is just giving you the building blocks for a page builder in a sense nice Mm-hmm. This makes so much more sense now. I'm loving it. Okay. I feel like I'm empowered now. I can I can figure out the rest of it on my own. But those are just some of the <laughs> nagging questions. I was like, how am I going to do this? All right. I got it. And you know what? Honestly, again, it's probably like that thing where like if I just would have read the docs a little bit better, I probably could have got it. But sometimes it's just nice to have somebody else on the other side of the phone looking at you and like just, telling yeah, this you, fun. this is how I, it works. Right? 
It, th- that's kind of how I was with Laravel too. Just watching Jeffrey Way do all the layer casts, it's like things yeah, yeah. Click, clicked for me in a way that reading the docs didn't sometimes. Yeah. Which the docs are incredible, but um, that's just my, how my mind works too. So. <laughs> Love it. That's super helpful. Okay. Well, that is great. Michael, do you have any final questions for Jesse before we uh, wrap the show up here? We're, we're getting pretty close. We've got, we're about over, we're a little bit over an hour. So yeah. I've got, I've got nothing yeah. to contribute. Uh, I think, I think Jake, you covered off everything that, that Jesse and I went through on, on our failed live stream. So um, yeah, that, was fun. <laughs> that was fun the other night. I don't know. It, it was fun to do it. Said... I was just, I just wish that we were able to, you know, share it. So that's yeah. that's fine. That's that's. I think that's all we got. I think this is a good episode. I think we should. I think we should awesome. wrap it. Okay, sounds good. This was episode one hundred seven. Was it one hundred seven? Yeah, it was one hundred seven. This episode one hundred seven. Thanks so much, Jesse, for joining us. Really appreciate it, everybody. If you want to find show notes for this episode, you can find them at northmeetssouth.audio/slash one hundred seven. Feel free to rate us up in your podcatcher of choice. Five stars would be absolutely amazing. Uh, Jesse, where can people find you on Twitter? Um, I'm not sure you want to, but Jesse Elite 85. It's kind of hard to spell. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll put it. We'll we'll drop a link in the show notes. And Jesse, anytime we have a guest, we always like to try to give them a chance to shout out anything if they'd like to. Is there anything you want to let the people know about? You know, thank you to the Laravel community and and the Statimate community. It's it's a really wonderful corner of the internet. And uh, and uh, thank you for having me on this podcast. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Thanks again for joining us. All right, folks. Well, until next time, we will see you in a couple weeks. Bye.